right, today I'm with Mark Houghton from uh, Great Britain. Mark and I met back in 2009 where we were both competing in a natural uh, bodybuilding competition in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And uh, right from the bat, I realized Mark was a very uh, smart guy, knew what he was doing, hit it off. We have common interests in music, obviously fitness and these things. And as I start these uh, podcasts, or interviews, I thought Mark would be great. I know since then, then he was having success in the past and since then had even more success in his bodybuilding career. And I'll let him tell, uh, tell us about that. So Mark, just to start off, maybe a little bit of background, who you are, what you do, and, and maybe your journey into fitness and exercise. Yeah, sure. I'll try and make it as brief as I can. Uh, I began training in 1982. I was uh, the typical skinny kid, got you know, a bit pushed around at school, nothing terrible, but because of my size and I was quite timid at that time. And I'd, the funny thing was before I even lifted away, I was, my dad had a market stall selling fruit and I ended up helping, helping him out, carrying boxes of stuff and fruit and bananas, all sorts. And I just noticed me, body changing slightly not a lot but when you're that young little changes I was quite lean I noticed my biceps started to get a bit more slightly raw rounder you know probably from a 10 an inch to 10.1 inch arm but at that stage it it was noticeable and so I actually enjoyed the lifting I was I would go and instead of carrying one box I start carrying two you know progressive overload at that time without even realizing it you know three four boxes and I actually got a little bit of development it was for me, it was noticeable. For other people, probably didn't notice a thing. But and I got talking to one of the guys in the market who was uh, who lifted weights. Uh, never saw him with his uh, t-shirt on. He was always wearing a jumper, but he had a big chest and everything. I later saw him without with a t-shirt on, and he was carrying quite a bit of weight, so he wasn't actually uh, muscular. But he was a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan and talked about the gym. And eventually that year, I took the uh, I went for it and joined a local gym. And uh, at that stage, first few weeks, gained quite quick in, you know, for the first few weeks. And then I started looking into this other local gym, more of a hardcore gym. My first gym was pretty much mixed in with boxing and weights. And so I went to this other gym. And as soon as I walked in there, it was the typical spit and sawdust, old school, real dark and dingy but the atmosphere was just it grabbed me straight away and so I went there had a session and decided to join this is for me to, uh, I'm going to progress to the next step and so that so great I started training there for a few weeks I was in central London in, in a sports shop and I bumped into the, I got, ended up speaking to the manager it's again that's a story in itself which I won't sort of sidetrack and it turns out he was a big heavy duty fan of Mike Mincer. And he, he virtually talked me into trying heavy duty. He wouldn't, virtually wouldn't let me leave the shop until I was convinced. <laughs> so I started uh, reading up on it. It turned out I had a few bodybuilding mags where Mincer had some articles in. So I used them as me base and started training as best as I could, how I interpreted heavy duty. It wasn't perhaps as, uh, as accurate as, the process was supposed to be but I had a rough idea and trained hard and 
find found out the following week that the gym was about to get six Nautilus machines from America were arriving. So having read about them from the Mike Mensah article, I thought it struck gold. And so I carried on training, started using the Nautilus, got myself a found myself a guy my age who was a similar amount mindset. And he let me lead, which was good. So I sort of uh, pushed him into the heavy duty style, which he enjoyed. He enjoyed working hard, which was good. And about a year down the line, we got talked into, I got, we both got talked into in a local competition uh, by a guy called How old were you then? Uh, I would have been, I can't remember, 16 or 17. And this was like over under 21 contest. And it was people coming over from France. And we went into it. We were out of our depth. But Serge Nubray was there as he was guest of a guy called Wilf Sylvester, who's the guy that got us into going into it. Wilf Sylvester was a former Mr. Universe and who competed in the Mr. Olympia in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And he was, he was just a local guy who trained at our local gym. And there was a lot of bodybuilders there, but he was just, a, he was such a good, strong personality. He was, he was funny. He was very infectious. He's one of them guys. He's just a, an out and out character. And he, you know, he could sell uh, fridges to Eskimos. He was that sort of uh, guy. So we went into it and I was, you know, neither of us got anywhere in the contest, but it was an experience, you know, 500 people in the audience and me, the skinny guy from school, 18 months later, was on a bodybuilding stage, which was crazy. But the confidence it gave me to actually do that. And I, I was hooked then. And the following year, I'd planned to do a certain competition from a natural federation called the IBBU. And they had their own magazine. And six months from the uh, planned contest I was entering, the magazine weren't defunct. Just, uh, and it got taken over by a mainstream uh, bodybuilding uh, company so that magazine disappeared and I had nowhere to go for the natural shows because I didn't have any info and plus I wanted to be in a magazine when you've you want to at that age you should want to show off and that'd be uh, looking back I want to see a photo of me in a magazine that would be a sense of achievement so I ended up doing uh, a year later some uh, drug drug shows or what I call open shows where drugs were taken I was a bit of, at the time, I just thought, I've got this heavy duty training system that gives me an advantage over other people. So let them take the drugs. But uh, I soon found out within a couple of years that doesn't matter how you train, if you've got that chemical assistance, especially at that young age, and competing against shorter guys with good genetics, that I had no chance. When it, I'd get to a certain level and then the, I'd just be out, the guys would be bigger than me, and at that time, I didn't really, I thought I knew it all and I knew very little. And, yeah, that's what youth is for you. I'm very passionate about things and I become very sort of dogmatic thinking that the only way is the heavy duty way. And at the time, Nautilus and Mike Mensah were promoting this. Yeah, everyone else is idiots and we're following the right path, which is, of course, nonsense, which is a shame because there's so much uh, can be gained from both their approaches but it's just this putting down everybody else but I was of that mentality I was a, one of the converted at the time so after a couple of years of competing I ended up winning a show getting a, a second a third but as soon as I went up to a higher level 
then I was hitting my head against a brick wall. And they were only going to go further and further away from me as uh, they, they started taking more drugs over the years. And so I decided to sort of drift out of bodybuilding. And I sort of kept an eye on it, but other things took over. I got involved doing athletics and even took, took a gym instructor's course in the, in the 80s um, and ended up working at a Nautilus gym in the 90s and uh, had a great time there, putting people through all sorts of crazy Nautilus routines that Dr. Darden was uh, writing in the advanced bodybuilding book, etc. And put trying things on myself. And I made actually quite a good growth spurt twice a week, doing about eight exercises on the uh, Nautilus machines. And I say I was trying all sorts of things out, all various types of negatives, static holds. And it was great having that. It's like uh, being in a sweet factory when you're a kid, having all those machines around me. And I was putting people through and making them suffer. And I was, I was being used. I was one of the few instructors that actually generally believed in the principles. You know how gyms operate. They People go in there for a job and they're told how to uh, train people rather than they go to the person because they believe in what that person is promoting. Right. I went there believing that I... Uh, in those principles and so when we got uh, when they had this one set principle which a lot of people have been stuck into this three sets of ten would come to our gym and they would say i can do more than this and so they would send for me to put them on the uh duo squat or whatever it was and put them right which i did on quite a few occasions it's much to my pleasure and uh, it humbled them and it was, it was interesting just to see their reaction so in the end, the gym, late 90s, the gym got rid of the Nautilus equipment and being such a convert and so dogmatic about Nautilus being the one and only way, I left the gym in disgust, <laughs> which, you know, it's only a, equipment is only a tool, as we both know. It's, there are better machines and, and others, but an intelligent, uh, more mature person at the time would have reasoned that I'll make this tool work for myself or my, and my clients rather than oh, I've got an inferior tool, I'm going to leave. But I did. And again, drifted off into other things, started, you know, still training, doing try Mensa's was back in, on the scene with his ultra abbreviated training, which I tried and did not get good results from gained a bit of weight as he kept saying, increase the calories to facilitate these, this new muscle you're going to be putting on. And I got fatter and, I realized that my physique was actually looking worse and got some uh, got some sort of uh, back to normal from training more regular and become aware of the IRAT and Brian Johnston's work. And at that time, I was training one, once a week in this gym full of medics equipment, which I, again, at the time, I thought was going to push myself forward. And my weights went up dramatically. I was lifting some crazy leg weights you know one legged on the uh medics uh, leg press with like 750 pounds or something it was you know because the stack was just nowhere near heavy enough for me and i know for a lot of people they can stack out but i was you know lifting ridiculous weights but when i think about it at the end of it my legs were probably no bigger than they were at the start so that was food that's that's things like that is food for thought and I started 
reading about the Johnson and the uh, zone training. And I got into the zone training and I noticed for the first time in years, my physique started to change and change for the better. No other real changes apart from just training in zones. But uh, the people at the medics gym uh, had these set principles and they didn't want, want like me training in zones. And fortunately, my membership was coming to an end and uh, I decided to leave and uh, train elsewhere because I understood why they had set principles. You know, that's how they, that's their rules, fair enough. But I weren't willing to, I'd got past a stage where I wanted to progress my training and despite having great equipment, their rules were holding me back. So I ended up going, joining like a local bodybuilding gym. And at that time, with the changes in my physique and being involved back with other bodybuilders, I, I set myself the goal of being in better shape at 43 than I was at 23. That was my goal. And as time, as that year went on, I started getting more involved in bodybuilding and noticed all these natural bodybuilding shows were happening in the UK. And in the back of my mind, I thought, I wonder if I could compete with them. I looked at the photos and I thought, I may have a chance here doing okay with these guys they're not massive they can good physiques but they're nothing like the guys i see you know i used to see competing on the pictures from uh, the main muscle magazines or i've i've seen live in the you know in the past so i i then set myself a goal of competing in a, a bodybuilding contest and uh i did not uh tell anyone until a few weeks out i started to diet and then made made the commitment and uh, found out that one of the one of the federations, the BMBF, uh, had their own posing clubs. And so I went there to help with me posing. Even I've done it in the past. I wasn't particularly good at it, I would say. And there was a lot of help there in regards to posing. And I was getting a lot of positive feedback about my physique and that I could do well. And so I ended my first contest, uh, qualified for the British finals and. Uh, actually managed to, got myself really lean, managed to win the, the over 40s class and nearly actually won the overall or just lost out to the lightweight winner. And I look back on that one now, if I knew what I knew now, I'm confident even with my physique then, I would have won it. But I was just so physically tired. I wasn't, I'd have been on stage for so many years. And, but it was just a great experience. Had a little binge out afterwards, which I regretted. It's a bit slow going back on the diet. And that later that year, did the British finals. And in trying to get myself lean, I actually over-dieted. I placed third. But again, potentially that was a contest I now look back on. I, I could have won that contest. but Which is a shame in one way. But had I won it, then would I have learned what I learned in the next few years competing? Because... From then onwards, I did, you know, many competitions, including a certain one where we met in Canada, which incidentally was my worst ever year competing. That year is the worst physique I think I presented because I'd done two years competing and the third year I was going to take off and I made a mistake in competing and end up having my most busiest year when I was actually should have had a, a time off. But I such, I visited different, I visited, uh, you, uh, Belgium for the European Championships that year, went to Canada for the IDFA show and the New York for the IMBF, WMBF World Championships. So 
met loads of people. So it was a overall, it was a positive experience, even though I did not do myself justice with my physique that particular year. And again, it's a learning experience. How old were you in, 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 in uh, 08 or 09 when you and I met? Uh, I would have been, let's think, 44. Okay. And yeah, 44 I'd have been then. So, you know, carrying on from there, I was my main goal was to try and win, become a British champion. So that would, that would be the, that was my initial goal. And I, 2012, with all what I'd learned, I'd finally got, got it together and uh, won the BMBF British title over 40s and then the overall Masters where the over 50s, the 60s and the 70s all compete for the natural Masters Pro card. And you know, it, it, realistically, it's between the 40 and 50-year-old because the 50-year-old the previous year took beat the 40-year-old to win the Masters Pro card and has done since. And one year, a 60-year-old has even done it. So... It's not a foregone conclusion. Right. But that year I was, I'd, I'd taken on, I'd had someone helping me with my diet previously, but I, at the end of 2011, I'd learned enough from the help I had been given to go, go by myself. And it paid dividends. I was trying that things. Uh, but I, by then I understood my body better, what, what was happening during the diet. And I actually ended up, uh, being bigger and leaner and fuller than I'd ever been before. And by then my posing was, you know, as good as anyone in the class. I would, I'd competed with another federation who had the master's best posing and I, every single show I won the best presentation. So I would, the guy who helped me with my diet also helped me with my posing. He was an outstanding poser. So, you know, my presentation was good, which in bodybuilding is important because you can't show, it's important to show how you, your muscles to the fullest. And if you, if you sort of hide in your muscles and not creating horrible shapes and angles, you're not going to look as good as someone who may be not quite as good physique as you, but can actually uh, show off that physique better. So coming into that contest, I was, because I dieted right, I had a reasonable amount of size, but when I'm full, I look big. And when, like in 2009, everyone's complimenting my shape, not my size, because I didn't have my diet on track then. I wasn't lean enough or big and full enough. In 2012, I had that fullness and conditioning. So it was more of a complete package. You know, I could, at elite level, I could certainly have been even leaner. But you're talking there, pro level, world, you know, to win a world, pro world title, that's the sort of conditioning that's required is one or two steps below, sorry, above what I was then. So I got my pro card. I then went to uh, the, the inaugural DFAC World Finals, the Drug-Free Athletes Coalition in Miami, and did the master's class in the pro division and uh, placed third. And that's a story in itself. I, I potentially may have pushed for second, but there was a tannin, bit of a tannin disaster there. And I blame myself. The tanner wasn't who did it, just had a, a tanning product that just was so poor and made me look like a ghost. Right. But I was experienced enough when I should have seeked out somebody else's help. I just thought maybe on stage it will show up better. And 
I, I let I put my trust in someone else and I I was old enough and experienced enough to not to have to do that my previous shows I'd trusted myself with doing me tanning and whilst it wasn't fantastic it was more than you know, it was competent it's a decent enough tan to show off my physique but I was so power in that contest and the other thing was I was actually uh, a kilo heavier than I was at the British finals and leaner and I learned because I was increasing my calories going into that contest and so that would probably be my best physique I ever presented but because I, my, my tan was so poor and the light the uh, the photography wasn't as wasn't as good as the one that the British it doesn't really come across in the photos as well as the British finals did my physique and I was probably a little bit flatter as well because I was eating so many my, my food intake was going up I was processing carbs at a crazy rate and I could have eaten even more and I'd have been even better but that's hindsight isn't it so that was the ended up being my last competition to date uh 2012 so I ended up on a pretty pretty much a high and then life took over you I planned to return to stage but ended up meeting my current partner Sonia uh, a year later we'd moved in together and and then a couple of years after that I had the opportunity to take an early retirement from my job because they were my, my job at the time I was working for London Underground selling uh, in the ticket office selling tickets and giving information out and they were closing down all the ticket offices and I'd done 20 over 25 years with them so I had the opportunity of getting a, a payoff and because I'd reached over 50 there was an opportunity of taking an early pension so what we did then decided I'm going to going to leave the pension would be enough uh, for us to uh, the worst case scenario for me for us to survive if we could buy our own house and with the money Sonia already had her house I had my money from my pensions and my uh, redundancy money uh, and we ended up buying our own house and my as I said about the music my interest in soul music and for people who don't know like Motown and it's that type of music, but the more obscure type, the ones that didn't sell as well, there's it's a popular scene throughout the world. It's been going on for decades now where people seek out these records that no one's ever heard of and they feel the dance halls and they, they're just as good as the stuff that got in the charts in many cases better. But because there was such a deluge of records in the 60s and 70s, for every hit, there was you know about a thousand records that weren't hits. So a lot of great records got missed at the time. And over the years, they've been, you know, thrown away. And so there, and there wasn't maybe not as many Prestas because there were little local labels pressing them. They could only afford to press 500 instead of like the major labels were pressing thousands. And so supply and demand comes into it. And so the prices of these records is higher than the ones that get in the charts because there's not as many records about. And those people purchasing the record, still purchasing the vinyl, were the ones going to these gigs. So some of the records were fetching astronomical amounts. And in between that, we've got you've got the cheap records and the expensive records. And I, I would just buy records. And people, if people want to, I trust my own judgment. I know, I know the music, I understand it, and I'll just sell records to people. It'll be sometimes it'll be records that people know and want want and they would buy it off me and other times 
I might put up a clip of a record they don't know and they'll hear it and they'll like it and they want to buy it. And so that was my little sideline, which I've done on sort of Facebook, a little group selling records. And that pays off, uh, that money can go towards stuff towards the house, initially paying off their first mortgage. And latterly, since we've moved house uh, in the summer, where we haven't had a mortgage, it's paid, it's gone towards the extension, our conservatory. And once that's uh, all sorted, it will go towards something else. So it's a little sideline, a bit like yourself. Yeah, it sounds your... like uh, it's interesting. We have many, many parallels. Uh, uh, and I found it interesting with Bryce Lee too. And how old are you now? Uh, I'm uh, 55. Okay, so there's eight years difference, but we started training around the same time. And uh, uh, quite a few parallels I found that I was smiling throughout. And did you say you worked for London Underground? Or was it- yeah, the, the Tube in London, yeah. They call what, it. Then what, what is London Underground? It's the uh, the train system throughout London. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Yeah. I, wor- I worked in the mines at one point, and I was underground, but even <laughs> well, I think you were working a bit. I think you were working a bit harder than I was physically anyway. <laughs> Well, that's the perception. There's a lot of heavy equipment these days that does most of the work. Now, one of the things um, over your career with uh, bodybuilding, you were in, in, in gyms throughout, you were obviously exposed and I'm sure offered many, many times to use drugs. And in telling your story, it seems like that was never even a consideration for you. Were you, were you never tempted? Never in the slightest. At the beginning, it was actually fear because the scare stories going around at steroids, I did not understand them. And uh, so at that time, I was actually scared of taking them. And even if I, looking back now, I don't think I would have, even if I understood like I do now, the it's not guaranteed to be, to destroy your life, but it's obviously, it's not a, the best path to take in regards to your health but you can some people can take them and not have serious issues but there is a element of russian roulette you're paying with uh, these substances but let's be frank people go out drink ridiculous amounts of alcohol uh, eat all sorts of uh, food you know and so a lot of other people make choices that are not healthy and possibly quite just as uh, dang- dangerous to their health as taking steroids would be but is this unpredictability of injecting something you don't know into your body which i found was scary if i was going out socializing when i was you know there was a time when i was drinking quite a bit but i could you roughly you knew pretty much what was going into your body and if you you know you'd, you'd get too intoxicated you'd, you'd, if you had any common sense you would you would be able to stop and after a while you'd put on weight and you feel dreadful and you'd ease down on the going out drinking. Right. There are some people obviously have issues controlling that, that to do a lot of that's to do with their, it could be to do with their upbringing, their personality, but I was okay in that respect. If I put my mind to stopping something and doing something, I could do it. So uh, I think that's something, again, that's just a genetic element there. My dad smoked for decades and uh, his, uh, his granddaughter, his granddaughter just said one day, I don't like your smoking, Daddy. Oh, granddad, sorry, granddad, I don't like your smoking. 
and he stopped and hasn't smoked since after decades and it's that mindset and i think i've inherited that from him and there's, there's certain characters that I, I can see now in regards that we're both uh, very stubborn and dogmatic at times right. and it comes to good thick you know we, we, if you ever saw us uh, having a discussion about something, neither of us want to give an inch. It's quite, it'd be quite, it's quite amusing for when Sonia's seen us together talking about foot, uh, football, soccer, as Americans would call it, or even politics. And it's like neither of us is neither of us is given an inch. <laughs> so I, it's very interesting. Well, in bodybuilding, I think tragically, in proper exercise in general has such a, a potential, uh, you know, to improve the quality of people's lives, you know, in multiple ways. And, and I would almost say in some cases, um, for, for some people, it becomes though a bit of a body dysmorphia type of thing where it's never enough. And, and then they start to resort to, uh, you know, at the mild end, spending ridiculous amounts of money on, on supplements and or at the worst end. And I guess the thing with the drugs is I imagine if they were taken for some people, as you say, and they took them responsibly, if there's such a thing. But it tends to be that a little bit becomes more and more. And, and all of a sudden, what started out as a pursuit of health uh winds up being very distorted how, how common do you think that is has it gotten worse over the years uh do you think or has it always been pretty bad it is i believe it's got a lot worse in recent years i just think it's the way society has changed everyone wants something quick and something without having to put the the hard work and effort in it's just it's visible around me in society in general and now with the popularity of uh, people having that physically fit look, you see them with film stars and actors and they want to look like that. And you know, a lot of people say, rephrase that, a lot of people like that look and want to look like that. And you give them the option of taking, getting to that look in maybe a couple of years or in a couple of months with uh, taking drugs a lot of them a lot of people will just take the uh, the drug route and drugs are much more are not scary like we were when we were younger it's with the internet and everything like that you've got everyone telling you the negatives of them you've got other people saying look at me I'm, I've taken them for years I've never had any problems you know they may I'm sure a lot maybe they're only interested in trying to sell you the drugs so you you can't believe that but there's so many conspiracy theories about everything going around. People are confused. And, but the whole mentality behind it is get, you know, get, 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 you know, get to the destination quick as you can. And uh, how, how you get there doesn't matter. Where we, you know, I think each generation before us, there's been a, about earning uh, it's about been about hard work and earning your place and it's still you know there's still a, still exists but i just think you know it's it's just over the years it's just got less and less and less and people have been too many people are getting rewarded for that putting the work in there as well yeah so, i have a i have a grandson who's 23 and occasionally he uh he reaches out to me 
to ask me about programs and things like that. And I, and I, and I give them various advice and things like that. And generally uh, just keeps right on doing what he's doing. And what I find tragic, I mean, I understand if a guy has an opportunity to have a, a multi-million dollar sports contract or a movie role or things like that, I'm not sure it's the right decision, but at least it's understandable that a person would resort to that. But many times it's a high school kid who just wants to impress his buddies by having yeah. big arms. And I think like not, not just even the money alone that's involved, right? It's kind of tragic. And especially I would think if there's a time where it's more dangerous, it's during your adolescence when you're still developing. Yeah, I think... It's a, a lot of it's to do with the fact that the accessibility of uh, drugs nowadays and the they're not taboo anymore. You, it's when I was younger, I didn't know anyone who was taking, uh, you know, recreation drugs. Occasionally, you go past someone, you smell marijuana or something, you're up past the house or in a late in a pub or something like that. But now the youngsters go out and you hear of, you know, through friends and acquaintances of all people taking all sorts of stuff before they go out and it's that said that the drugs are accessible they're they're not they're not taboo where our days it was alcohol and smoking they were the two the two things yeah. now there's all sorts of drugs coming out and the, the thing is they don't know what they're getting you know these these people the drug dealers are so unscrupulous they'll put anything in these substances so, and so earlier uh just to tell you you said this, that was my last bodybuilding contest to date. I noticed you said to date. Yeah. So my, I have a, a double question here. One is, is there uh, another contest in your future? And the second part of my question is, at your age now, do you see yourself potentially improving on your previous condition? Or do you have to think to yourself, I have to settle for the best that I can be at my current age, which may not be what I once did. Okay, the second part, the answer is simply, I do not know, but unless I try, right. then I'll never find out. And that's my tr current training is directed towards that in that I want to, I've had limited time to train with so much going on in the house. So I've let, I've sort of, at the moment it's twice a week, I can probably push once things settle down maybe i could if necessary if it's more beneficial to go up to three times a week but i want i'm be trying to factor in trying to push my physique to what i consider to be the same level as i was before and maybe beyond utilizing the twice a week uh system at my home gym which is limited equipment with the various things to do with aging sore joints and you know recovery and and other you know other things in your life and i've been just manipulating various training things to see what's working what's not and i seem to i'm inching in the right direction it's like two steps forward one step back and i'm, I'm seeing my physique get closer and closer to what how i want it and then once if and when my physique gets to a level I think is matching what or comparable what I had before. And um, again, I don't know. The gym I was at had certain mirrors. We can look in mirrors. I and 
you can see one thing in one mirror and something else in the other, especially years apart. Right. I've got quite a good judge for where I am, but I'm not, inf I'm not infallible in that respect. Sure. So I've been taking photos, etc., and trying to sort of monitor my progress and be critical about it. And so if I get to a stage where I think I'm in position now, where I think I could be as good size and fullness wise as before, then if, if the fire in my belly is there and there's a path where I can, you know, spend six months of my life dieting whilst maintaining a certain amount of life balance in regards to that, because we before I was single. Now I'm in relationships. I've got two lively dogs. And so I've got to consider that and how it's going to affect their lives. And sure, I, if I'm going to do it, I would expect some, I'd expect some support and understanding, but I've got to give something back there. It can't all be about me. So I've got to see, can I get into that condition where I'm going to be comp not only competitive, but potentially be better than I was before in regards to leanness, et cetera. And so I've got to really you know, think deeply about that. And I've, I've, it's in the back of my mind all the time if, how I would do it. You know, even things like meal preparation, it takes time and social events. I know we haven't had much in the last few years and we're not massive socialisers. We've got you know, family and friends we go out occasionally with but uh, it's it's still something that's you've got, you've got to consider i'm not the only one in the equation now where i was before right. so so that's something i was but i would that there is certain I, I love bodybuilding i love the idea that it the motivation you get from doing a contest you know that yourself yeah. there's there's a certain fire in your belly when you train when you've got a contest coming up that unless you've done it you don't know you don't know and that's that's the sort of thing where when people talk about making progress, progress is not this smooth line going upwards or whatever. It comes in spurts. And you've got, when you get at this big goal, and this is applicable, not just for competitive bodybuilders, but for the general public, people that you train, if you get that goal that people are passionate about, they, you don't have to, persuade them to come to the gym they're 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 getting to that gym they want to get there they want to make things happen and that's what it's like when you prepare for a bodybuilding contest and yeah i was just going to say a lot of what you're saying reminds me of the the psychological aspects of it uh a the motivation that comes with preparing for a contest so you just train differently than if you're just doing it on a day-to-day and one of the things that comes to mind is in one of Darden's books, I think it was um, the one that, that you can buy the ebook right now, Old School Bodybuilding for New Results. Yeah. And at the end, he makes a point, which I thought was really good. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, Arthur Jones saying um, that, not Arthur Jones saying, but him saying that the biggest contribution that Arthur Jones made was getting people to believe in the system and how important it was to believe in your system, whatever it was. And even says that Arthur Jones even conceded that one set of failure may not be the best for everybody, but believing in it was really important part of getting results. And I've heard other people say that too. And when I read books, I don't know if you've read stuff recently by John Little, 
and the article I send you that basically says that after a certain point, <coughs> you know, you're not going to gain anymore. And I think <coughs> on a reverse thing, if you start to believe that, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yes. I've always tried to take the attitude that I'm going to go down kicking and fighting and scratching all the way type of thing. And, and maybe it's true. Maybe, you know, and I know that sooner or later, Father Time will have his way. Uh, I can't continue to progress till I'm 120. Uh, but to me, if you accept it, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And whereas if you maybe call it denial or whatever it is, but if you continue to look to improve, um, you're at least there's some, because I think the psychological aspect of it is very, very important over and above even what you're doing in the gym, perhaps. Yeah, no, I, I agree totally. You've that, and it's not just about your progress, it's about the actual training. If you believe that you still can make these tiny little improvements, your workouts, you look forward to your workouts, you know, you. You come up, you know, Dr. Darden's come up with this 30-10-30 system. I think it's, I think the uh, negative emphasised training in, that he's come up with has, has some merits, but whether the current application or previous application of it is the ultimate application, I don't know. I'm sure over time it will change and uh, maybe come even more, you know, better than it actually is. And there's, this, but in my mind, there's something in it. But even if there wasn't, it's that when you read about it, you think you're excited. You want to try this new training thing out. And that's what gets you down the gym. Yeah. But that's what gets you there. It's and it it, it adds it adds to your life. You enjoy your energy about training. And then that all, that all comes spins off into other things as well, where you're going through the same oh, people saying, oh, you keep the same routine. Go, go to the gym. Do your do your one set of uh, eight exercises, 10, 10, and then come back the following week. And it's, uh, it's not supposed to be, it's not fun, uh, but it keeps you functional. I don't think I'd ever, if, I, if that was training wise, I'm not sure whether the, I'd want to train. I like, to me, training is about, a ch it's that challenge. You know, when I was younger, you know, I used to be able to do all these different sports and, now, as you get older, you, you can't do a lot of the athletic events because the joints and muscles and everything can't handle it. But you can go to the gym, lift weights, make little progressions, maybe see a little change in your physique. And you might, only you might notice it, but who cares? You know, who the, who, what matters to the, what other people think? That's the bonus. It's what you think. You're the one putting the work in. You're the one. So you're the one that should. If you see these little rewards and no one else does, it doesn't matter. But it's that the train, the benefits from training, we, you know, for, as people age, I think we we're going to talk about anyway. But, uh, you know, you're going to get those benefits and you're going to get, you're going to enjoy your training. You know, so you're doing something you actually love. But if you're just going through emotions once a week, doing something which is, this is, not recreation, exercises, work. That whole mentality is just so negative. You know, it's, it's a it's a field of medical science type thing. You go in there and you you do your 10, 10, you, you're in that, you go through hell during that 10, 10. It's painful, 
and you finish your workout, you forget about it and come back a week later. I love reading about exercise. I love talking about exercise. I don't want to forget about it. I don't want it taken over my life, but I want it to be a significant part of my life. And maybe it's something to do with some of the people who've run studios, done it for years, and they there is a certain staleness there. They, they, whilst they, they enjoy what they're doing, and they, you know, people, as I say, Skylar is obviously an outstanding uh, coach and what he does. He's very highly respected, and he's someone whom I'll, well, if I read an article from him, if I see an article from him, I'll read it because I know, he knows what he's talking about. But I think he's looking at it very much from his own perspective rather than looking at it from a, a broader perspective and the individual, it changes from individual to individual. And he's never, you know, as far as I know, he's never done a bodybuilding contest, for example. He doesn't understand that fire that goes through your belly. And I think in another podcast of his, he mentioned about people he's been seeing, how their physiques have not changed over the years. He's seen him, etc. And, but he, he, he hasn't noticed their physique changing, but anyone can, sort of uh, look at someone in a t-shirt or whatever and not notice his physique. You mentioned Mike Lepowski in one of them and said he hasn't, physique hasn't changed. But if you looked at his physique from 2005 to 2012, when he was competing mm-hmm. and passionate about his training, his physique did change. He, he may have only gained a pound or something, but if you looked at his photos, his physique did change and looked significantly better. But, that's me being a bodybuilder and a student of bodybuilding can see those changes. Since in more recent years, his business has taken priority. And so the photos he's taking uh, are probably gonna be more or less the same as he was previously because he hasn't had that far in his belly to compete. Life's taken over, he's had children. So, you know, you, we can all pick a period in time where we haven't uh, changed. You know, things like, you know, children, stress, uh, all sorts of things take over your life where your training is going to be a plateau for a period. But when you get that free part of your life where you haven't, the stress is reduced, you're sleeping well and you're passionate about your training, you can make improvements, visible, visual improvements. Right. I sent that photograph of you to show, you know, that when, when you're fixated on a goal, the weight might not change, but you can visually make a big difference to how you look. Well, I think one of the things I, I really enjoyed about uh, your last several sentences is, is hearing the passion in your voice as you're saying that. And I guess the thing is, in life in general, someone needs a passion, something they're passionate about, something they want to continue to improve it. In this case, with Mike, Maybe right now he's not that he's less passionate, it's just that his passion has switched over to his business, his family, things like that. But he continues, I would suggest, and and I'm very impressed with a lot of what he's doing with his business, he continues to be passionate about improving, right? Exactly. In general, he's improving his life, he's improving his quality of life, and he's doing a lot of great things. And, and, and of course, uh, the fitness is a, a part of it, right? Now, with, with some of the clients who have never been, you know, probably never even picked up a bodybuilding magazine, never been to a contest, 
uh, might even look at, at us as a weird subculture of people that, that, that are doing some strange things, but they're very interested in not winding up in a senior's residence with a walker and having somebody help them with their day-to-day -day activities and whatnot. Have you worked with seniors um, and know of people well into their old age who are having great quality of life thanks to proper exercise? Uh, not so much worked with them. I, when I was working at the uh, Nautilus gym, I had people of various ages. In general, it was sort of younger office people, but there was a few older people there. And I know of other, you know, other bodybuilders and other people do lift into as they're getting into their 60s, 70s, etc. And it, without a doubt, their quality of life through training is dramatically higher than the average person because of that. And it's, it's not just physical, it's mental. The stress release you get from exercise is massive. If you don't train for a while and you notice the difference in yourself sometimes, in your moods, where that feeling once you've trained, that you're almost like a deep relaxation and it's things seem, most things seem a little less, in, things that you thought may be important going into that workout, so just a tiny bit less important the stresses and and obviously you've got the physical benefits if the thing about when people get old is they become a lot of people are not mobile and they lose their muscle tissue their heart it becomes weaker because they're not exercising it and the root of exercise is without muscles you can't exercise whether it's walking swimming or nothing or anything like that so having good functional, strong muscles would allow you to do these other activities, which may, may or may not benefit your heart. You know, there's, there's a lot of dispute about the benefits of what the benefits are, weight training in regards to your health of your heart, for example. But uh, even if the weight training does absolutely nothing for your heart, what, getting stronger muscles would allow you to do activities that may increase, improve your heart health. So, you know, that's that's so that strength training is the is the root of, you know, of health to me because it allows you to do things um, that can make you healthy, even if it doesn't do everything in itself. And it can do much more than the average person realizes in regards to health. You know, you know, you can get improvements in flexibility you may not be able to get the extent for example a, a stretching routine would to actually increase your flexibility but is that flexibility uh going to improve your standard of life because you're putting yourself through area you know a range of movement that's not necessary for example right. nautilus always used the word enhanced flexibility rather than improved flexibility in their machines when they brought you through a range of movement and I believe the reason for that was because, because you were putting your body through a range of movement with resistance, you were getting stronger in that stretch position, which would enhance your flexibility. Where if someone just done a stretching routine without getting stronger, as your muscle becomes stretched, it generally becomes weaker. And so you're actually increased, making yourself more vulnerable to injury if you're not actually getting stronger in that stretch position. And so resist if people want flexibility then again resistance training is important a moderate amount of stretching at the end of the workout i'm sure is fine 
you know, it may may even enhance you know enhance things even even more. But you've got the, the main thing: strength training should be uh, the primary way of increasing your flexibility. Well, one of the you know what you mentioned the mental part of it for me, uh, without going off on too much of a tangent, but I, I'm. I'll just suffice it to say that this year I'll be 30 years clean and sober. So I'll just leave it at that. I made some poor choices earlier on and strength training was the turning thing for me because at one point I started to do that. And I realized that, well, actually a friend of mine said, you're building a house in the daytime and you're tearing it down at night. And uh, it sort of realized it was, it was, wasn't you know the, the two were not congruent right you were doing one thing for your health and other things that were destroying it but i find that the progressive nature of strength training and that you're always trying to improve is a great microcosm for life in general and it tends to create habits where then you'll sort of carry that into your career You'll carry that into, if you learn a musical instrument, different things. It's just this sort of, uh, I think Seneca said, as long as you live, keep learning how to live. And you're continually trying to be a better you, right? And I think exercise, just the nature of it is you're challenging yourself. Once you get to a certain level, you want to challenge yourself, uh, you know, again, more. Which going yeah. back to what I said, settling to get to a point where you say, well, I'm at, I've reached my potential or whatever it is, and it's all I can expect, is you simply won't push or you won't try something new or whatever it is because you just become, oh, that's all there is. Yeah, your and two points, the two points you've made are actually, one of them, I'm almost with a parallel here in regards to the alcohol, in that during before I got back into bodybuilding, I I was training once a week in the the medics uh, studio, and but because I had I'm so competitive in nature, I love my sport, and I had nowhere to channel that competitive in, instinct. But I ended up taking up uh, the game of darts. I don't know if you know the game of darts. Mm -hmm. It's in the UK. It's revolved around pubs yeah. and drinking and. I took it up. I was quite successful because of my competitive spirit and my my mindset in that I'm going to be the best I can at it. And so I'd buy sets of darts, have a dartboard at home at work, and I'll be pounding away, practice, practice. I ended up, you know, playing three nights a week, going out on a Saturday. So four nights a week, I was out drinking, consuming alcohol. <laughs> and it actually, after a certain amount, it does actually help your game because you relax it's a game where ten tension can actually ruin it. So uh, I was actually quite uh, relaxed about uh, once you had a few drinks, but then your body gets used to the alcohol and you have to drink more. Right. And so I was out drinking ridiculous amounts of alcohol four times a week. And then I got to the stage where my darts, was, I sort of started losing interest in the darts because I become too intense about it. And I was, it's one of them games where if you try too hard, you actually get worse at it. Right. Where in some other sports you can actually, I'd put the same men same uh, mental approach I had to other sports where I've been successful, and it wasn't working, and and then I was my physique was getting worse because I was gaining weight from uh, you know the drinking, and I was only training once a week on the medics, and we training in the plateau, so 
I just thought to myself, I'm becoming a servant of two masters here and I've got to make a decision. And that's, and then that, that after that thing, the more I thought, once I started the Brian Johnston zone training and made improvements, that pushed the balance back towards the weight training and away from the darts. But it's interesting to say about in your situation, being, a, you know, making a decision, you put, you know, one, one aspect to, you're putting all that hard work in the gym and then you're ruining it by going out drinking is exactly the same with me there. So that was one thing. And the thing where I was slightly different from you and it's something which I regret, but it's part of me is that you've got that positive uh, attitude you've taken from training and pushed it towards other things like your career and other aspects. I've not tended to do that as much. I've probably become in the past too focused on the one thing, probably unhealthily so, but it has allowed me to become, without that, I don't think I would have achieved the bodybuilding success that I did. Right. So that's the, uh, so it's the same when I've done other sports, I did athletics and I got to a reasonable standard and with darts I did. When I do something, I, it becomes almost an obsession, not as bad as some people I've seen. I won't take I won't take it to a stage where it ruins my health, but I probably lose put the balance too much on the side of the uh, com com competition aspect of it. I love because I love sports so much and I love competing, etc. That my balance, uh, your your life your life work balance has, has been probably better than mine over the years, but. The, the only benefit was is that I've maybe got a few more plastic trophies at the back than you have. That's, so. I, I uh, you know, it's interesting you say that. And But people who excel, uh, especially at a, a world class, and being a British champion, I, I'm gonna, that's world class, have to have a degree of imbalance in their lives. I don't believe you can reach those pinnacles without having a degree of imbalance in your life, at least temporarily, right? It's a matter of if you eventually dial it back. But I've got one thing I learned after, I don't know if you remember this, but when I had, uh, when I competed, I, I'd been, had open heart surgery a couple of years before. So I learned some things. So I appreciate your, your statement about my work-life balance, but believe me, I got caught up in work and, and I did a lot of things. And one of the things I learned about passions is it's good to have at least two. And what I mean by that is what I learned is if when you're doing one, you can completely forget about the other and vice versa. Because otherwise, for me, it becomes, it becomes obsessive, right? Yeah. And one of the things I learned about dealing with, with addictions and whatnot is you can't say stop thinking about the color blue. Do you know what I mean? You, you, that's all you'll think. You have to come up with, I'm going to think of the color red. So, you know, over the years, I've taken up the guitar. I've done various things. And, and when I'm doing those things, I'm leaving other things. For me, my obsession was work. And, and, and who knows whether it was genetics or overworking. But certainly, I would do things like literally, there were times when I stayed at the office Till the next morning so i'm sure that was not healthy uh, to do and so i learned 
the hard way, once I got a serious uh, health scare, that, that it's important to have more than one passion for me, right? And, uh, and that sort of keeps me, but at the same time, I recognize when I see a world champion, when I see a, somebody, I realize that I'm grateful for those people to have shown me what's possible, while at the same time being cognizant that in some cases, they may have paid a price to get to where they are, that you know, at least is a, a certain degree of imbalance, but I think it's the only way you're gonna to get to those levels. Yeah, hundred percent agree. That's it. You know that you're you're competing against when you're going to any competition at the top level. You know you're competing against some people who are totally obsessive. It's their entire life. They've got no balance whatsoever. Right. And it's they they will do what it takes to get there. And if you want to win, you've got to start stretching what you call your own balance to a certain extent where, where it gets to a point where it, it can get to a point where obviously it's counterproductive, but there is a, you've got to, you, you, while you don't want to cross the line, you certainly need to push close to the line to uh, maximize your own potential within that uh, sport or endeavor. Well, Tony Robbins, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to him. He had a thing about asking good questions and you know, if you ask the question, what, what do I need to do for my next bodybuilding competition and be better than I ever was? That's one question. Another question is, what do I need to do to achieve that while maintaining balance? Then it's a better question, right? And yeah. I think you're already there because previously, and I, it sounds, by the way, I wanted to say, that it sounds like you guys have a healthy relationship with you and your partner because I was impressed you were very cognizant of the fact that, you know, if you if and when you compete again, that it's going to affect other people and that you have to give back and make sure that, you know, if you're getting support from them, you have to give it back. So, you know, that question about how do I do it and have the balance? And I think if you ask the better question, the answers will come. And, and I think you can probably have both. And, the thing about it is, even if uh, I don't get, if I do decide to go back, try and pursue the stage again and go for success, um, even if I don't get there, then it's the journey and the attempt. It's that, and it, that, that will, that's what it's all about in the end, because I could end up getting into the best shape of my life and uh, hit that stage. And I might place lower than I've ever done before because the people on that day would just turn out to be better. I can't control right. that. Yeah. Or as, as I've had before, I might get, it might be a very close contest. And again, I could place low and, it, the, and I might, the judges might see something different entirely to what I see. And that's human nature. In right. close contests, subjectivity comes into it much more. You know, uh, I know, Bodybuilding, people say, is subjective, which is to an extent, but there are criteria to follow. And you, otherwise, you know, me or you could go up the Olympia stage and potentially win it if it's subjective, couldn't we? I mean, we wouldn't because there is uh, an element of, there is a criteria to follow and there's guidelines for the judges. So it's 
it's not quite as subjective as people make out, but there is a, a certain element of that. And so, and that's, but you, we go into that when we've been into a contest, we've, got, we've done that knowing full well that we may get a decision we don't agree with. Right, right. And we, or we may even get a situation where, in my case, where someone is entering a, a drug-free competition under a five or whatever, seven year ruling, who we know for certain is certainly not five or seven years drug free. Right. And right. as I say, which happened in that contest we were in in Canada. Yeah, I remember because the one gentleman who won had been featured in one of Brian Johnson's books who, yeah. uh, who uh, had said, uh, Brian stated blatantly in the book that this guy was drug using and the book was not five years old. No, it was two years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so uh, in parting, uh, for what would be final thoughts um, in terms of, let's say, for people 55 to 62 on exercise, life in general, um, what, what would be some closing thoughts that you think that, that would be useful for people trying to improve themselves in their lives? You've got to make that first step. Talk talk is one thing it's, it's all about action go go to a gym go to a personal trainer and it's important to start with if you've never exercised before is to you know research into it a little bit and uh, join join a gym where they where you know you're going to get uh, personal attention and because it's it's an endeavor where if you do do it incorrectly and badly you can get injured and as we both know when we get older injuries can take a while to a lot longer to recover from than we, than we were when we were younger so that's the first thing there's certainly i would say contact someone like yourself and uh if they can't get in contact if they can't use your, your service for example for you to get advice on trainers who you know you can tell them we'll give them safe, productive work, potential workouts, because there's lots of bad information out there. Mm -hmm. So as, as we, as we're on your particular uh, podcast, then I suggest they, if they can't work with you to contact you for you and you can then give them a, potential people in their area. They can actually, they can actually work with, but they've got to take that first step and nothing, nothing worthwhile is easy in life. And nothing, there's nothing more worthwhile than your health and quality of life. So, you know, the first thing is make that step, make contact with someone like yourself. And uh, after that, you know, go get started. You've got to start from somewhere. And if you don't, you know, your quality, as I said before, quality of life is everything. And strengthening your muscles will have effects far, far beyond just looking maybe a bit better in the mirror and if you've never trained before you'll be potentially the results that you get could actually astonish you you know you you, you may be old you maybe you know whatever age they are we're getting older but you know we're not we're not you know we're not, we're not sort of uh, quite in the uh retirement home yet not not in the grave yet you know we've still got right. time ahead of us and you know quite it's got to do anything in life you've got to get off your backside and do it because it ain't going to come to you so that's the first step once you've got that step you might find you have a 
you love what they're doing, you might have a passion for, for doing it. And but even if you, you know, even if you don't, then you've still important to appreciate the importance of being fit and healthy. You know, and that's that's the thing. I think people like yourself have got a great responsibility, Rich, in that those people come to see you, they might not like training they may think it's painful you've got to make it you've got to almost get find find what makes them tick what makes them want to come to the gym you've got to make the experience for them sort of part of their week they enjoy coming through and they look forward to coming they know training is hard work but each everyone's and everyone who comes to you is an individual and i think people like yourself can actually make that experience um as pleasurable as it can for you know even though they're going to be doing a bit of hard work in the process right and you know you can get them to rethink why they're going to the gym give them make them set set, set their self goals and but as i say a lot of it is that they've got to make the first step and then after that it becomes a partnership i think between people like yourself and them and so yeah that's that would be my my thing get off your you know if you want something to happen make it happen and and then it becomes uh, a case of becoming a habit after a while and becoming part of your life and if it does that if it grabs you then it's only only good can come from it so mark somebody wants to reach you to buy rare records do you do things internationally or is that locally or um i'm on my, my do it on Facebook. Uh, it's uh, international. I do, but my, it's very specialised. The sort of stuff I deal with. Right. I think the people that collect those sort of obscure soul records from the sixties and seventies would know each other on their little circuit. But if you know anybody that's got these obscure soul records, uh, little local label records from the sixties and seventies, they're welcome to get in contact with me and. Uh, I'm always looking to buy records. Is it is it okay for me when I publish this to publish your email address? Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm your, fine with that. Your Facebook page, what is it called? Um, well, I've got a bodybuilding page, which is okay. uh, uh, I'm trying to remember it now. I've changed it. <laughs> Mark, I think it's Mark Houghton, natural bodybuilding champion. But if they put body my name, bodybuilding, and Facebook. I'm sure they'll, they'll come up easy enough or they can contact my, me on my Facebook page, send me a message. I can give them details. So I'm fine with any of those, those things. I'm always happy to talk to people and give, you know, give my uh, opinions and thoughts on anything to do with exercise and music. And I'm quite easy. You know, I'm quite relaxed about things. I'm not sort of, uh, I, I, I do try to reply to people. Cool. And, I appreciate that. I have to run because I have a client coming in shortly, but I appreciate so much you taking the time. This was really fascinating. And I uh, will probably put this on in the next two, three weeks. And then of course, naturally I will reach out to you at the finished product. Okay, great. Thanks for inviting me, Rich. You're very welcome. My pleasure.